broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Orlando, Florida, it's time for Regions Business Radio Orlando. Regions Business Radio Orlando is presented by Regions Bank. Brave the beginning. Member FDIC. Welcome to Regions Business Radio Orlando, presented by Regions Bank, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. I'm your host, Scott Wall, and I'm a commercial banking leader with Regions Bank here in our Central Florida market. We are broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio inside the Marriott Hotel in downtown Orlando, Florida. And my guest today is a friend and a local community leader, Catherine McManus. Catherine is the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Greater Orlando, and Osceola County, I'm very excited to have her. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Scott. Glad you're here. Catherine, let's start off. Maybe tell our audience about Habitat. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people feel like Habitat's all about building houses. I know it's a lot more than that, but maybe talk a little bit about your journey to Habitat and what Habitat is, and we'll go from there. My journey to Habitat was a really fun one, and and all that I learned uh, during my professional career really has led uh, me to be able to run this company. But the majority of my professional career was at WMFE, uh, the local NPR and PBS station. I started out as a fundraiser, and by the time I left, 12 years later, was Senior Vice President of Philanthropy. And uh, from there, I uh, went on to Camp Boggy Creek, where I was lucky enough to be chief development officer and raising money for Paul Newman's camp, doing amazing work for the medically needy children across our state. And then the Habitat for Humanity job was announced, and I said, hmm, this seems very appealing. Let me see uh, what it's about. And in 2015, January 9th, I became uh, president and CEO of Habitat Greater Orlando. And at that time, we were building around 10 homes a year, very much your typical Habitat model of using volunteers and building homes and selling those homes at an affordable rate to those in need in our community. But I had a challenge from our board of directors, and that was to grow, to evolve, and to have bigger impact in our community. So you say bigger impact. What, what is the, what's the, is it the number of houses that you were challenging the team to build? So over the course of this past seven years, we've been able to evolve bigger impact. Initially in 2015, it was to build more homes. Building homes, though, is an expensive proposition from finding the land uh, that we need to build them to raising the money to construct them. And then we have the additional issue of finding the right homeowner that is in need, but also meets the criteria for purchasing a Habitat home. Because our own owners have to do three things. They, one, need to have a housing need, which of course nowadays is pretty easy. Most everyone in Central Florida has a housing need. They need to have a willingness to partner. Habitat is built on the motto of it's a hand up, not a handout. And so our Habitat homeowners have to be ambassadors on the job site. They have to give of their time and they have to have the ability to pay. And that's a big difference between Habitat for Humanity and other affordable home builders that typically give homes away. Habitat for Humanity does not give away homes. What is it for a candidate to even be in the running to 
to to have a home. You, you mentioned they need a home, right? They've got to be helping build the home. But maybe before that, there's probably a process, I suspect, to, to have someone even be a candidate for a home. So maybe talk about that. What does that really mean? The process for getting chosen for the Habitat program is pretty arduous. You have to go through pre-qualification where our team looks through what your pay is. They look at your debt to income ratio. They look at your credit score. In addition to what is your housing need, how much of your gross income is currently being paid towards housing and housing related activities? And are you willing to partner? Are you willing to put in the hard work that it takes to become a Habitat homeowner? That's just the first step. If you get through all of that, then you go through an even more defined process with our loan originators. And they're looking at pay stubs and social security and all sorts of interesting things to determine that you are going to be a successful mortgage holder because every Habitat buyer purchases their home. Uh, They purchase it at the appraised value. However, the difference is Habitat makes sure that the home is no more than 30% of your gross household income. So we provide down payment assistance to make sure that we get the difference between the appraised value to whatever that 30% of your gross household income is, thereby making it affordable. I I would suspect, Catherine, with the cohort that owns these homes, that debt to income you just mentioned, you give them a much better chance of being successful, right? Success is what we're about. There are a lot of people who deserve a home. Absolutely. Can they afford to be a homeowner and deal with the maintenance? Being a homeowner is not inexpensive. Uh, We need to assure that they are as empowered, informed, and engaged in the process as possible because it's not just we're going to build you a house, you're going to buy the house, we're going to give you the keys, and then we're never going to see you again. We continue that relationship with them to assure that they are as successful as they can be. However, we're on this journey with them. We are not pulling them. We are alongside holding their hand, but they have to take all of the steps necessary to really show us that that they're in this. Maybe speak a little bit about stability, like home stability. You know, you just laid out the process by which someone might be a candidate for one of your homes, but it means a lot more than that, right? I mean, maybe talk about how important this really is to the community. Housing that is affordable is an integral part of making Central Florida healthy. And I like to say community health starts at home. If you are moving frequently, and think about it, if you have to move every four months because your rent increases or you lost your job and therefore you can no longer afford your rent. I mean, think about all of the different ways that even friends of ours have been impacted by the economy. And if you're moving frequently, especially if you have children, and so many Habitat homeowners do have children, they have families, and their children are having to move frequently, therefore they're moving schools, they're moving doctors, they're moving their transportation needs. They're moving typically away from their village, their safety net, those people that if you have to go home after school and your mom is still at work, well, you don't know your next door neighbor any longer. What do you do? So that is just one anecdotal example, but there are just 
reams and reams of research and statistics on what a stable, affordable, well-built home does for children. And we've not even talked about generational wealth. So many people in America have created their wealth through their home. They are able to send their children to college because of their equity in their home. They are able to pass along generationally their asset of their home. So imagine if you have never owned a home, if no one in your family for generations has never owned a home, how far behind the power curve you already are. So just those two things, the, the, the wealth building, for lack of a better term, and just the, the health and well-being of children growing up in a stable home is so important. And if those two things are moving right, and if they're going in the right direction, our community only benefits from that. Uh, big time. In a little sidebar here, the organization Habitat, the mothership, if you will, was it 1976? 1976 Habitat for Humanity was found. Okay. And I always think Jimmy Carter. I know he was one of the founders, not the only founder, but one of the founders. Is that right? So Jimmy Carter, little little trivia here, Jimmy Carter actually was not a founder of Habitat for Humanity. However, he is, I think, one of our most popular staunchest advocates even today in 2022. He found out about Habitat for Humanity because he lives in Plains, Georgia, and Habitat was founded in America's Georgia, my Southern accent's now coming out. And they're really sort of right down the street from each other. And so he came, learned about the whole concept of neighbors building for neighbors. And he was he was hooked and has stayed hooked for the past 40 some odd years. He and Mrs. Carter still go out for the Carter Work Project every year and build a home. And he's not playing. And that's what so amazing is he is out there to work. He'll take a few pictures and talk to a few people. But as he said, look, if I'm not swinging a hammer, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) How many homes has Habitat built in its history, if you had to guess? Is it a million homes? Oh, my goodness. Is a federated network. um, I would say we are probably close to a million homes. Habitat for Humanity as a a group, uh, there's 1,100 Habitat affiliates across the United States. And I would say, yeah, close to it. We typically run in the top five of residential builders in the United States. I heard it was a very significant number. We're pretty proud, yes. So maybe talk a little bit about affordability in this community. This is a, this is a touch point, but it's a big deal. And, and maybe you could speak to our listeners about what you're doing at Habitat around that topic and how really important it is here. I could give you a ton of statistics. How much has rent increased? Double digits. How much uh, has home values increased? Double digits. Everything around the housing spectrum is more expensive. For the first time in many decades, there is no one that isn't being impacted by this affordability crisis. I talk to young professionals out of college, great job. They're still living at home with mom and dad because they can't afford a $1,700 a month rent, a studio apartment. 430 square feet. We're not talking very many, you know, we're not talking some palatial mansion here. To the elderly, people who are on a pension and a fixed income, um, they can't continue to afford 
where they are living. And so many, both of those demographics are typically renters. Just in Orlando, rent has been increased by 28% year over year. I'm going back, if you, if you had to say, are we talking 10 years, five years? 28%? Yep. One year. Oh, one, 12 oh gosh. Months. Year over year. Year over year. That's 28%. a big number. And it's a number that isn't easily made up in your wage or your salary. So what happens, and we see this frequently at Habitat, is we have families coming to us that are bunked up with a family member. You know, they're sleeping on the couch. We have families who are living in motel rooms. Those extended stay motels, those have turned into apartments. And we have families that are paying more than 50%, sometimes 60% of their take-home pay. But that number should be what? It should it be should 30? It should be 30. Okay. It should be 30. So if you are spending $60 of your $100, what do you have left? And with inflation right now, food costs an exorbitant amount gas, everything that are those needs that get you through the day are substantially more expensive. And so they have to choose. Do they pay their rent or do they pay their electric bill? Do they pay their rent or do they send their, their child to the doctor? Do they pay their rent or do they go unfed for a few days? The choices that our community, our community right here in Central Florida are having to make because there is not enough affordable housing is tragic. We are in a crisis. And if community leaders don't start, one, accepting it, two, educating themselves about it, and then three, doing something about it, our city will not be what we want it to be a decade from now. And do you think, is it fair to say Florida is dealing with this around the state? The state is dealing with it. Um, We've had so much migration into our state, especially because of COVID. That is driving up the home prices. And in Florida, we were hit so strongly by the Great Recession, where residential buildings specifically really took a nosedive. And that's Part of one of the problems we're dealing with now in 2022 is there is enough, uh, not enough quantity of housing. And so we are in this perfect storm. We've had the Great Recession. So we have had underbuilding. We've had, oh my goodness, a global pandemic where so many people lost their jobs or became underemployed. It just everything, we've got inflation, we've got all of these things are sort of all coming together in this one cataclysmic moment. And there just aren't enough resources to help everyone. We cannot build our way out of this crisis. So you you mentioned the pandemic. How has the Orlando Osceola affiliate, how are they different post-pandemic? Meaning, are you operating in a different way, the way you might be approaching the purchase of land, construction, hiring, any of it? I would say we're almost a different company today than we were three years ago. During the pandemic, we were able to continue building because we were deemed an essential service and our construction department kept on. And I am proud to say we built 24 homes uh, during uh, that first year of the pandemic. We did 25 homes the second year. So we continued doing what we needed to do. But the thing that was different for us, in addition to everything that other residential builders faced, which was supply chain issues, which caused material delays, 
rise, which then caused material increases. I mean, at one point, lumber was, I think, more expensive than gold. We had to try and, and really find our way around this because we pay for all of our materials. We pay for our subcontractors. And so the price of a house today, us building today in 2022, is $25,000 more per home than it was in 2020. That's a big number because, well, well percentage wise, I don't, I don't know if that's public information, but it's not a small number. It is not a small number. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty daunting because we have to go and raise the money to build the house so that we can sell it to the next habitat buyer and we have to subsidize. So you sort of look at the capital stack of what is it going to cost us to sell a home to the individual um, at a price that is affordable to them. So we have a lot of complexities that we look at just in new construction. But the other thing that we found is how can we help preserve homes that are already affordable? I've said before, we're not going to build our way out of the housing crisis. Even if every residential builder in the United States started building, it would be very hard to do so. But can we help you stay in your home if it is affordable to you? And this is a big problem with the elderly. They own their home, It's typically affordable to them because most of the time they've owned it for decades, but they don't have the money to maintain their home. So what happens as their home's maintenance starts to get worse and worse and worse, their home deteriorates and they sometimes find themselves in a position where they have to find new housing because their home is no longer livable. Because it's not livable. Only because it's not livable or it's unhealthy. Yeah. If you have a leak in your roof that's been leaking for several years, it gets mold. Mold's not a great thing for your lungs. Um, So it just sort of, it's this perpetuating issue. And so we worked with Orange County government to create a roof replacement program. To date, in the past two years, we've replaced almost 100 roofs for low-income families, predominantly seniors. And we figured, let's start with the top. If we can get your roof replaced, well-built, constructed, then we can focus on other areas. And that's that was a new program two years ago in conjunction with Orange County. Correct. Very cool. It, very cool. Yeah. In addition, we're working with the city of Kissimmee on their rehab program. So, so many, again, typically elderly, not always, but usually, they live in their home. It is affordable to them. Again, we get into a maintenance issue. With the city of Kissimmee, we've been able to rehab these families' homes to assure that all of the house is livable and, and what it needs to be. So that could be uh, from electric to a new HVAC system, new windows. Um, so this repair part, this preservation part of what we're doing is going to be, I think, an even larger part of the Habitat program as we move on in years. And we created a mentorship program. We found during the pandemic, we were having more than 120 people apply for a Habitat home every week. Big number. Remember, we only build 24 to 30 homes a year and 120 people a week were applying. So the the acceptance rate was rather small. However, 
they needed our help. They needed a home. They needed someone to say, yeah, we gotcha. Uh-huh. We see it. You're asking for support. You're asking for help. You're not asking for a handout. You're just asking for help. And so we had to decline them from the Habitat program, meaning our new construction program. We said, we cannot have you in this program. However, over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to work with one of our case managers and a volunteer mentor, and you're going to work on these five things. And those five things could be raising your credit score, lowering your debt, see if you can get your income raised by $1 an hour, those kinds of things. After that 12 months, they can reapply for the Habitat program if they so choose. And if we have a home available, we know they meet all of the criteria. But most importantly, they're better home ready for anyone. If they want to go and rent an apartment, if they want to go out to another residential builder and buy a home, they're better prepared to be home ready. And that's important. As a banker, I fully appreciate the financial literacy aspect of that. Even if these folks, I suspect, don't get into a Habitat house in the near term, to your point, they're better off managing their affairs. Is that? Oh, absolutely. So part of our mentorship program and our Habitat program, whether you're a repair applicant, whether you're a new homeowner, whether you're a mentee, you have to go through financial literacy classes, Habitat University. In Habitat University, we are going to show you how to budget. Why should you budget? How to bank? Why should you bank? All of these things that so many people, myself included, were never taught. You just sort of figure it out as you go along. Well, okay, if, if you've got a lot of income, it's a bit easier to make a few mistakes. If you are living paycheck to paycheck, it's harder to make mistakes. Very much. And the mistakes are much bigger. Much bigger, having much bigger impact. And so that's important to us because even with rent, if they go to an apartment complex, they're going to run their credit score. If their credit score is higher, they're going to sometimes have either a lower deposit or a lower monthly rent payment. Great. We see that as a win. Over the past two years, we've seen more than 100 mentees and have housed 12 of them. So that is a success to us. Well, well done. And so when I think about what the core service that Habitat provides alongside the mentoring, but the homes, maybe speak a minute about how important the volunteerism for your organization. Volunteerism has always been at the core of Habitat. Pre-pandemic, we'd have more than 5,000 individual volunteers come to our construction site every year. The pandemic hit March 2020. That went down to a crashing zero. For two years, we had no volunteers. Literally. Literally. Yeah. None. Other than our board of directors. Mm -hmm. I, I always like to consider them volunteering. They're just Absolutely. not on the job site all the time. But other than our board, yes, zero volunteers. That forced us to shift how we built homes. It forced us to shift the budgeting of homes and the production schedule. So 
fast forward to today, we were able to really look at our former volunteer program and elevate it and make it a bit different to help fit into the efficiencies that we found during COVID by not having daily volunteers on the job site. And to remember when people give of their personal time, they want an experience. They want to know that if I'm swinging this hammer, it really is making a difference. I'm not just coming out to sweat and hammer hardy board to the side of the house. And so we've taken a totally different route and um, nine months out of the year, three days of that month, we're on the job site with large groups working side by side. Um, They're volunteering their time, they're volunteering their talent, and they're volunteering their treasure. And that's really important. Um, So it's very different than how we were in early 2020, but it's effective. It is what we need as an organization. And our hope is that the volunteers, when they come, really are getting something out of it and understanding the why. I'm sure they do. I love hearing that you touch the community on both sides here in a really important way. So I've got to ask you, I think it was either earlier this year or late last year, your organization receives a very large multi-million dollar grant from the Mackenzie Scott Foundation. And for those of you in the audience that may or may not know about that, that was, Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong, $450 million overall across the country, many non-for-profits. Is that right? $436 million just to Habitat for Humanity oh, gosh. affiliates. Okay, so that's a, that's a really big number. Can you tell us when you first found out about it? How did you find out about it? Because it's a very, it's a really big grant. <laughs> it is a huge, it's our largest donation in history uh, to our affiliate. And um, 86 of the 1,100 affiliates received a McKenzie Scott donation. So I received an email from a donor advisor, it stated, uh, that had a donor that was interested in learning a bit more about Habitat. Um, would I please reach out and talk to them. Well, these are frequent emails that one gets when they run an organization. And having been a fundraiser for two decades prior to, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is great. Of course, yes, I will be happy to talk to you. And so we scheduled a time. It was five o'clock on a Friday. I remember this because my um, in-laws were coming in and we had this dinner and I said, look, I'm gonna have to be a bit late. I have this call, but it's important for me to explain Habitat to these to this person person. So I'm talking and and on the phone with the person and they're asking me, of course, a few due diligence questions. And I'm like, yes, okay, and answered them. She said, well, we've been researching you for the past six months. We've reviewed your 990s, your financial audits. We've talked to people who have given to you. We have done all sorts of things. And I'm very, uh, how did she say it? very honored to share with you that you'll be receiving a $5.75 million grant (laughs) from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. This is on a Friday. Friday at five. So ugly crying. (laughs) I literally, I I think I blacked out for a bit (laughs) and just started like hyperventilating. She was wonderful. The person on the other end of the phone and just said, it's okay. And I'm going to say some things to you and please know that I'm going to also send these things in a follow-up email because you're not going to remember anything else (laughs) I'm about to tell you. 
it was fantastic. I, I went out amazing. of, yes, the room where my family was bawling and they thought something tragic had happened. And I'm like, we're really gonna be okay. <laughs> It was, it was, uh, we'll probably never have an experience like that. But here's the cool thing. $5.75 million is a substantial amount. While I've never been able to speak with Miss Scott, when you read her articles, when you hear her speak, she truly is challenging us to think about philanthropy in a different way. It's hard as a nonprofit. We are dependent upon funders. And funders sometimes want to fund one thing, but our need is another thing. So what do you do? Do you tell the funder no? Or do you say sure, and you try to make that square peg fit into the round hole? With the McKinsey Scott gift, it was unrestricted. We could spend it on whatever we saw fit to do. And her perspective is, you know best. You are there day to day. You understand what is going to give you the biggest ROI. And it was so refreshing to know that we could finally think, not think outside of the box, do outside of the box. Mm. We are all constrained of, well, that would be really great if we could do why, but we can't. So, yep, let's we, we bounce against the wall. I sort of say sometimes I feel like I'm in a straitjacket in this padded wall. I, I am always stopped because of the wall. Her gift has allowed us to break through that wall. And we are choosing to do really innovative initiatives with her gift. And I am so excited and hope to come back and talk to you, you know, in the next six months about well, it. Well, first of all, big congratulations Thanks to you and the team and the volunteers and the board. Look, your your organization is, as I, I would say, stewards of, of community capital, and that's going to really open the door. Um, I can see it in your eyes that you've probably got a list of, a short list and a long list of projects. So congratulations. Thank you. We are honored to have been chosen and we understand we have to be good stewards of this donation and all donations. Um, and we are, we really are efficient in the way we spend money. I run our 501c3 as a business. A C3 is just a tax status. We're a business just like everybody else. I would say you probably wouldn't have gotten that grant if it were otherwise. I'm sure they knew that, how you guys run that business. So that's yeah. really exciting. And I, as we start wrapping up here, Catherine, my last question for you is what is, again, for our listeners, we've talked a lot about the incredible things that your organization is doing in this community and others around the country, but maybe um, crystallize your, your kind of love for Habitat. What's your favorite part of working there with that organization? My favorite part is twofold. <laughs> I'll give you the heart and the head. The head, it is the most challenging job, and I love every minute of it. That is so cool because I go into the office every morning, and I don't know what I'm going to find in a good way. And so I am I am really challenged intellectually and creatively, and that is one of the best things about the job professionally. From a heart perspective, it's the families. I don't, when I first started working there, I did not realize what a bubble I lived in. Like, I didn't grow up rich. I'm a middle-income kid. You know, my mom was a teacher, and my dad worked in the nonprofit space. 
but I was fortunate. I was privileged in ways that so many aren't, both financially and with support. And so what makes me most proud every day is that we are able to provide support to families that don't get it anywhere else. And if I can help them with just one small thing, even if it's not a house, but with anything that allows them to be the person that they want to be, to be the mom that they want to be, to give their children what they need and deserve, job well done. Uh, Not only that, but I would think driving to work every day gets a little easier when that's the backdrop, right? So let, let me say, first of all, we're fortunate to have you in this community with all that work. I, I've been involved over my years with Habitat, and you guys do some amazing work in this community, and we're grateful for it. So thank you. Well, thank you. We are here. We need everyone's support, and um, we're very grateful to be part of the fabric of Central Florida. Well, we're lucky to have you. I'd like to thank our guest, Catherine, and our listeners to Regions Business Radio Orlando, presented by Regions Bank, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. You can enjoy our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com and selecting the Orlando studio and then clicking on Regions Business Radio. This program is also available on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe to the program so you don't miss any of our future episodes. I'm Scott Wall, and you've been listening to Regions Business Radio Orlando on Business Radio X. Regions Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This information is general in nature and is not intended to be accounting, legal, tax, investment, or financial advice. Regions believes this information to be accurate when recorded, but it cannot ensure that it will remain up to date. Consult an appropriate professional concerning your specific situation. The information should not be construed as a recommendation of a specific course of action for any individual or business. All Regions products and services are subject to qualification requirements, terms, conditions, fees, and credit approval. 